Well, good morning. I'd like to welcome everyone to our service this morning uh, at the Buffalo Church of the Nazarene. I hope everyone is staying in and staying safe, if at all possible. Now this morning we're going to preach, you got it out of the book of Mark, but we're going to jump ahead. We're going to jump to Mark chapter 11. Being Palm Sunday, we're going to uh, preach from the text of Jesus' triumphant entry. His triumphal entry into Jerusalem. So we'll be reading from Mark chapter 11 and verse 1. And when, and when they came to Jerusalem and to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, he sendeth forth two of his disciples. And he said to them, Go your way into the village over against you. And as soon as you be entered in, you will find a colt tied, wherein never man sat. Loose him and bring him. And if any man say unto you, Why do you do this? Say ye that the Lord hath need of him, and straightway he will send him hither. And they went their way, and they found the colt tied by the door within, without in a place where two roads meet. And they loosed him. And a certain of them that stood there said unto them, What do ye, loosening the colt? And they said unto them, Even as Jesus hath commanded. And they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus and cast their garments on him. And he set upon him. And many spread their garments in the way, and others cut down branches off the trees and strewed them in the way. And they that went before and they that followed cried, saying, Hosanna, or Save us. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Blessed be the king of our father David that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna to the highest. Familiar passage of scripture, usually preached on during Holy Week services and during Palm Sunday in particular. Now in this text, we see the beginning of Holy Week. We begin it with Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. You see, up to this point, Jesus' ministry had been from small town to small town, for the most part. The outlying areas, countryside to countryside, field to field, hill to hill, village to village. But that's all about to change. The time has come. Jesus has set his eyes on Jerusalem, and that's where he is going. He knows his end. He knows what this brings. But he's determined to come and go. He's determined to make his way to Jerusalem. Now, Jesus understands why he must go to Jerusalem. He understands the purpose of it. Those that's with him... They don't understand it. And even though that Jesus has time and time again explained to them, at least three times Jesus has explained to them the reason He has to go is He has to go and be condemned and die on the cross. They still don't get it. They still don't understand it. 
In fact, as they're heading toward Jerusalem, they start to argue, if you remember the stories, about who gets to sit on his right hand and who gets to sit on his left in the kingdom. They don't understand what Jerusalem means to Jesus. We're not going to preach on it, but I I love that scripture when he gets there on the Mount of Olives and he overlooks and he sees Jerusalem and he weeps over Jerusalem. He weeps not because of what he's about to face. He doesn't weep because of the pain he's going to endure. But he weeps because that's his city. Those are his people. And they're going to reject him. Thus condemning themselves and damning themselves. He's going to offer them forgiveness. We don't know how many take it. Hopefully many. But he knows that they're not going to accept him as the Messiah. He knows what's to come. However, I believe many times, we as Christians, we that come to church on Palm Sunday and then come to church on Easter, we make a fatal flaw in our doctrine. We make a fatal flaw in how we perceive Easter. You see, we so many times we jump from the triumphant entry today. He rides in. They, they put him up on a colt. One that had never been ridden because it was common law, if you will. It was the Jewish law that no one was allowed to ride a king's animal. So if a king owned a horse, only the king rode the horse. And so it had to be a colt that had never been ridden because he's going to come in as a king. And so they put him up on a a colt that had never been ridden. They cast their garments upon it and they bring him in as the king. So many times we skip from that to Sunday morning. The resurrection. The empty tomb. the, 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 The victory over death. But what we end up doing, if we're not careful, is we skip the week in between. We leave it out. We leave out Calvary. We leave out the pain, the suffering. We leave out the cross. We leave out the price that was paid and the reason it was paid. We leave out the power of Jesus' blood and what it was shed for. You know, Jesus' blood was shed to save us from our sins. Not to just cover them. Or to give us an excuse for our own self-centeredness. No, no. If all we needed was our sins covered and an excuse, that would have been easily done. That wouldn't have required the precious blood of Jesus. That wouldn't have required Him to go to the cross and pay that price. No, the reason He went and paid the price is so that we would have power to be saved from our sins. So that we would have power to break the curse of Adam and not have to live in sin any longer. Now this was all on Jesus' mind as He made His way to Jerusalem. He's there and He gets up on the colt and his, His followers followed behind Him and some before Him. He was heading toward what He knew 
was going to be his earthly demise for the moment. The others, they, they cried out. They cried out. They thought he was making a, a, an entry as a king. You know, it is significant to note that Jesus walked everywhere he went. This is the only time we know him to get on a beast of burden, to ride in, to show his royalty. Also, it was common custom to walk into Jerusalem. So Jesus riding in was no doubt Him displaying who He truly is, a King. And all through Mark, and we're going to continue through Mark, we learn the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And here on Palm Sunday, we see our King enter the city of kings. He enters the city of king upon that colt, or really it would be a... a, 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 a foal of a donkey, and he rides in as a king. They're throwing branches on the ground signifying his triumphant entry. Kind of an allude, like a throwback to when, to back in the, 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 uh, to when the, the, the Romans were cast out of Jerusalem. The Maccabees, when the Maccabees rode in and they cleansed the temple and they kicked out the powers that be, They used palm branches to signify that overthrowing. And that's what the people are saying here. They're looking for a king. He's being received as a king. His his followers, they're shouting, save us, save us, Hosanna, which simply means save or save us. But we all know the story that it's not long until those cries, they cease. It's not long until they're no longer following Him in thrones and and crying out to Him and calling Him the Deliverer. It's not long until most of His followers deny Him. And they run. They run away. The same crowd in just a few days is going to be chanting, Crucify Him. And you know what? So many times we judge those crowd. We judge that crowd that went from praise Him, Hosanna, to crucify Him. But however, the reason was this. They had an idea. They had an idea of who Jesus was. They thought for sure that Jesus had come to overthrow the powers that was enslaving them. They hated the Roman Empire. They hated everything about it. And they thought for sure that Jesus was riding into Jerusalem to take the throne of David and to destroy the Roman Empire and so that they could have what they always wanted. Freedom. Freedom. But you see, He came not to destroy Rome, but He came to destroy a far greater foe than Rome. However, today, little has changed. Human natures and human aspirations changed very little over the years. And what we're going to look at today is just a few minutes. We're going to look at this text and see that the greatest need we have is not to be saved from anything external, but to be saved from ourselves. See, they denied Jesus because they wanted external salvation. 
They didn't look within. And if we're not careful, we'll be the same way. And we're going to talk about three things that they had, uh, problems they had with Jesus, if you will, that we today need deliverance from also. The first of which is just like them. We must be saved from petty political drama that surrounds us. The crowd behaved, believed that Jesus would destroy the Romans. That Jesus would give them a heaven on earth, if you will. They wanted to use Jesus as a club, as a weapon. They had political enemies. They had people that they was oppressing. Think of it. The Romans had the nerve to oppress the children of God. Just on moral grounds, it sounds horrible. They had a right to be upset about that. Who are they? The Bible promised that it would be a son of David set on that throne. And what do they have? A pagan Caesar telling them what to do. Bossing them around. They got to go to him. They couldn't even follow their own rules completely. Only if Caesar allowed it. And they viewed Jesus as the club they needed to knock him off his high horse. And you know, just like today, many well-meaning Christians today, if they're not careful, they use God, they use Jesus, they use God's Word to tear each other apart politically. We spend way too much time tearing down our leaders instead of humbling ourselves before God and praying for Him. You know, Jesus didn't ride in as a king with an army. He rode in as a king that was going to die on a cross. He rode in. They wanted Him to destroy the Roman Empire. He was dying so they could be saved. He was dying so that those very oppressive Roman leaders would have a chance at salvation. He wasn't there to do away with them. He was there so that they could go to heaven. And we have to remember that. We have to remember that the reason our country is so far from God is not because of our leaders. No, our leaders have very little to do with it. It's because we as a people have refused to acknowledge God as God. It's because we as a people have watered down Christianity and watered down godly morals and watered down the gospel to the place that to be saved is nothing but a promise of heaven and there's nothing else to it. That's why our country is in such shape that it's in. We have a hard time preaching deliverance from sin because we have a hard time finding examples of it. Let us be careful to realize that the demise of this country begins in our living rooms. It ends in our living rooms. Do we pray for those that have authority over us? You know, the Bible is clear that we're not to mock. We're not to tear down. We're not to speak evil, even of our leaders. Those ungodly, let me tell you this, we have very ungodly leaders at times. I'm not denying that. 
Everybody in Washington's not for God. In fact, the vast, vast majority of them are not. Our country has gotten to that place. But we have to realize this. If we call them out and we down them and we make fun of them and we tell everybody how terrible they are, I don't see how that's not evil speaking. My Bible says that it is. My Bible says to pray for those that are in authority above us. My Bible says to fast and to pray and not to tear down. Because we have to realize exactly why they're in that spot. You know, I'm careful when I say this, and I'm not political at all. But why is Donald Trump in the White House? Because God put him there. Why was Obama, uh, Barack Obama in the White House? Because God put him there. Why is every senator and, and everybody in the House of Representatives, why are they there? Because God put them there. Now sometimes it's out of judgment, and sometimes it's out of reward. But nonetheless, the Bible is clear. Let's flip over. I'm going to flip and just show you a couple of scriptures. Daniel chapter 2. Daniel, flip over to with me to the book of Daniel chapter 2. I love the book of Daniel. I can't get tired of the book of Daniel. There's so much truth here. Daniel chapter 2, two verse 20. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and might are His. And He changeth the times and the seasons. He removeth kings and He setteth up, setteth up kings. He removeth kings and He sets them up. Nobody sneaks and becomes a ruler over a large group of people. Like I say, sometimes it's out of judgment. Sometimes it's out of reward. But God sets up our leaders. We find it again in Romans 13. Let's come over. Sometimes people say, well, that's the Old Testament. How about the New? Okay. Romans chapter 13, verse 1 and 2. It says, let every soul be subject unto the higher powers. Now, he's not talking about spiritual powers here. He's talking about earthly powers. For there is no power but of God. Uh-oh. You mean that low-down lot? Yep. They have no power except God gave it to them. The powers that be are ordained of God. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power resisteth the ordinance of God. They that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. We may not agree with them, but we have to pray for them. We have to seek God on their behalf. We have to cry out. We have to be saved from this idea that somehow we are so righteous and holy that we are going to set the world straight. We're going to let everybody know just how awful these other people are. You know, it's also over there in Romans. We're not going to get into it today. But I love that in Romans where he says, Who are you to judge another? Because you that judge are guilty of the same thing. I love the certainty of that. I take that to mean that if you judge, you're guilty. He doesn't say you might be. He doesn't... No, what's making you judge someone else is covering your own iniquity. So be careful. And don't try to use God as some kind of a club to kind of beat on our political opponents. Now at the same time, we have to make sure that we vote with godly principles. 
You say, well, if God sets them up and God takes them down, then there's no, no reason to even vote. Yes, there is. We still have a responsibility. We still have a responsibility and we should still vote with godly principles. You know, when I go to the vote, I don't get political, but let me tell you this. When I go to the polls, I remember something. I remember that there are going to be those in the last days. And there was those in previous days that starved to death because of their faith. There's going to be those in the last days that refused the mark that are going to absolutely die from starvation and exposure. Let us be careful not to vote with our pocketbooks and think we're going to share the same heaven. Because what's required of one is required of us all. And I take that to my own heart also. God requires us to use just and holy judgment when we are executing our votes. God expects us to understand that He alone takes care of us. And if we absolutely follow our morals when we vote, He will take care of the rest. We must remember that. And then whatever the result may be, we pray for Him. We love Him. We want to see Him saved. We're just like Jesus when He looks down at the very ones that are killing Him and say, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. Please, God, save our leaders. Help us to not. Help us to be delivered from our own political nonsense. Second of all, we need to be saved. Hosanna, save us from our shallow faith. From our shallow faith, this same crowd had a very shallow faith. They had an idea. They liked something about Jesus. They decided that that Jesus was something they wanted as long as He did what they wanted Him to do. They thought He was going to come in and take the throne, and when He didn't, they all ran away. So we need saved from our shallow faith that causes us to abandon Jesus at the sign of trouble. These crowds soon fell away. Not only did their shout file away, but they ran away. You know, Jesus wants Christians. Jesus calls us not only to welcome Him with shouts, but He wants us also to follow Him to Gethsemane. To tarry an hour. To pray in agony and anguish. You know, he cried, dear God, if you could let this cup pass from me. He saw, he knew what was coming. And I ask you, dear saints, have you ever agonized over your shortcomings? Is it serious to you? Have you ever got down and and, and prayed? And, And do you have a bitter taste in your mouth for coming up short? Do you hate it? when you don't perform up to Christian standards? Does it make you lose sleep at night? Do you strive to live for Jesus no matter what the cost? Or would you rather skip this week entirely and say, Hallelujah, Jesus came to Jerusalem. Hallelujah, He has risen again. Oh, my friend, but Christianity lies in between. It's the willingness to go to Gethsemane to tarry with Him, to develop an absolute hatred for sin, not a, mainly in our own lives, 
An absolute hatred for it. Does that make you perfect? No, you will still make mistakes. But you'll hate it. You'll fix it. You won't laugh about it. You won't be saying, I'm just going to leave my religion here and go do blank. That'll never happen. Not when you really get to Gethsemane. That won't happen. It'll get you to the place where you can endure sound doctrine. Think of that. Endure sound doctrine. Do you measure yourself against Scripture? Or do you measure yourself against some kind of made-up self-test that's automatically bent towards you passing? My friend, we need to endure sound doctrine. Do you do your best to conform to Christ? Jesus said He gave us power to become the sons of God. Look what Jesus went through. You know, we like to puff our chest out when we say that, and we think that means blessing after blessing. But it didn't mean that for Jesus. We have to be there in Gethsemane. If we truly want to see our country change, if we, truly, if we can honestly have a complaint about the way the world is going, then we have to spend time in the garden to see it changed. Are you willing to make the cost? Are you willing to establish a deep faith? No matter what God asks, no matter what God requires from you, is your answer yes? Yes. Because that's what it's going to take. A strong answer yes from our knees in the garden. And last of all, I don't want to stay too long, we need to be saved from expecting or, 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 or being hooked on earthly glory. See, this crowd thought they was going to get to take part in God's kingdom. It was going to be an earthly kingdom, and Jesus was going to be the king, and He was going to run everybody out. And then they're going to live in Jerusalem, and that's going to be the ruling city. And they're all going to get to take part of that. Is that what you think of Christianity? You know, God will bless His people. We live in a time of uncertainty. We live in a time of political madness, it seems. But we also live in a time of much blessings. We have it good here in America. Even through this epidemic, pandemic, we have it good. We have it good. A lot better than most places in the world and definitely much better than previous generations. But that's not because it's owed to us. You know, 1 Peter tells us that, in 1 Peter 2.11 tells us that we're to be pilgrims and strangers. That we're not promised an earthly kingdom, if you will. We're just traveling through, and we need to remember that. Our home, our eyes need to be fixed on the other side. Our, our, our desires and our motives need to be set on the other side. Jesus, He looked at the cross, but He looked beyond it. He didn't come into the, Jerusalem to set up an earthly kingdom. But instead, He came to die on a cross. He came to give His life for ours. So as Apostle Paul declared, we're bought with a price. Who's in control of your life? Do you act like someone who has been bought with a price? Or do you simply act like someone who has been given freedom at the expense of someone else?
That's only part of it. That's only part of it. You see, Jesus didn't come and die so that we could live footloose and fancy free. But He came and died so that we could become a sons of, the sons of God. We could become an heir to the throne. So we could actually become Jesus' family. And in doing that, we have to mimic our lives after His. And Jesus came, His whole earthly purpose was to serve others. His own whole earthly purpose was to mind God and to serve His fellow man. And that needs to be ours. We need to get busy about minding God and serving our fellow man. We need to get busy about keeping ourselves pure and unspotted from the world and serving our fellow man. We need to get busy about the God's work and about the kingdom's work and serving our fellow man. You see, God, Jesus didn't enter into Jerusalem with an army. He rode in on a donkey with fleeting followers that didn't hold up. He just rode in. He knew the cross was ahead of Him. He rode in so that we, He could go to that cross. And we're going to talk more about that through the week. Every day we're going to post a little something, hopefully, talking about this week. But we have to be careful to not forget about the cross. To, to not to forget exactly what He came for. You know, we have to ask ourselves in prayer, where does God's kingdom fit into our lives? Do we fit it in? You know what? Our whole life should be based around it. Our whole life should be inside of it. Because we live in God's kingdom. And if He is our Lord, then we are His subjects. Serving God is doing His work. Serving God is not always easy, I should say. Uh, not the serving, but the working part is not always easy. But I promise you this. Though if we're on the earth for another day or another hundred years, we can rest assured that the retirement plan is out of this world. That if we hold true to God, if we hold true to His, His plan, if we allow Him... To set us free. To set us free. You know, Jesus said if we lose our lives for Him, we'll find them. If we lose our life, we'll find it. Let's work this day, this week. Let's stay in prayer. Let's uh, 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 tune in. I'm going to uh, have some uh, videos I'm going to put up throughout the week. And let's make sure that we take all that we can from this week that we grow closer to the Lord, that we take that trip to the garden, that we realize the price that was paid on Calvary, and we realize that we serve a King that, is going to, that gives us redemption, that gives us salvation, and that allows us the power, the ability to serve our fellow man. Let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, Your goodness is unexplainable. Your grace is greater than anything we've ever experienced, dear God. Your love, dear God, is unsearchable. We have no idea how you love us like you do. Oh God, ever help us to throw ourselves upon your love, your grace, your mercy. Help us to continue to seek your face. 
Dear God, help us, oh Father, to ever just hopelessly throw ourselves on you, to live in you, dear God, to serve you with our whole hearts, to rise above the wickedness in this world, dear God, and ever help us to keep our eyes on the cross, the sacrifice that you made. Help us, oh God, to ever be true to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Yeah.